Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and on today's episode, my guest is Nicolette Mason, who made a name for herself through her personal blog. In addition to still running that, she now also writes for a whole host of other outlets and is also a contributing editor at Mary Claire. Recently, she has begun designing clothes, uh, working with folks like Modcloth and Target. Nicolette and I had a great chat. Uh, she's as cool as it gets, so let's get into it. Do you live in the you live in the neighborhood here? Yeah, so we have our place here in Williamsburg, and then this March we also got a place in LA, mm-hmm. which has been a new and exciting transition. Like I grew up there, and so going back as an adult is a really really different experience because it's like you grow up and you inherit the things your parents prescribe to you, right? And like you do the things that your parents decide are right and see the things that they find acceptable. Mm-hmm. And now I go back and I'm like, holy shit, there's all of these amazing places and neighborhoods that I grew up within like 10 minutes of and I never ever saw. And now I get this whole new appreciation and understanding of the city I grew up in and knew so not well. well it's weird right because like i i you know we spend like all our time and effort when we're a kid to get out of the place where we grew up absolutely and then when you come back you're like oh my god this is so good at least for me especially there was so much about growing up in la and especially like the specific bubble that i grew up in that was really toxic to me that didn't allow like self-discovery and exploration like I, I grew up in a Jewish community that was like fairly liberal on paper but um, there was a lot of like conservative politics that still played in even in the middle of LA like it didn't feel very accepting for me as like a young fat queer girl to explore those facets of my identity right. and and not feel like I was inherently wrong in being myself. And so I think I had to to leave that in order to find myself, find my identity, gain a sense of confidence that like I I honestly don't know if I could have achieved without leaving. Right. Well, I mean that's why we all want to escape. Yeah. Because this is this really like there's got to be something better than this. Exactly. You know what neighborhood did you grow up in in LA? I grew up in Beverly Hills. Oh, you grew up in Beverly Hills. Yeah. So that I mean, amazing, beautiful. I I, I was so privileged to grow up there, but also like. It's weird to grow up in a place where I'll borrow from Amy Schumer. You take the face you're born with as like a light suggestion. That was the best joke of the night. Yeah, yeah. and um, and that that's weird. It's like very very weird because you're like, oh, I don't look like everyone else, and I shouldn't. And you can fix it. <laughs> you right. Can fix that. Right. But. I don't want to fix it now. I'm like, no, I actually am like pretty happy with yeah. who I am. And, um, but when you're in that space and exactly. like, you're like, and you're surrounded by that, you're like, well, th- what else is there? This exactly. is all I know. This is all I see. Yeah. It can be really like, it can be confusing and really hard to it's, deal with. It's confusing. And I think it also just 
can mess you up a little bit if you're not super, super self-aware. And I don't know that I was when I was 12 or 13, because how can you be? You only know what you see and what you experience. Right. And what I was experiencing was this world where you bought your status through possessions and through you know, the cars that you drive and through the clothes that you wear and you change your face in order to fit some social norm that's decided by like, who the fuck knows. Right. But then now I go back and I'm like, whoa, like all of these people I knew now have the same nose. And that's really sad. Very sad. I mean, it's, it's great for people to do what makes them happy. I like fully, fully believe in that. And I think people should feel entitled to do whatever it is they need or want to yeah, sure, feel them sure. their best self. But when it becomes a prescription that like everyone should do this thing in order to be acceptable, that's the part that is really sad and kind of scary. Mm-hmm. To dial it back, maybe to just on a less serious yeah. track for a second. What was your experience like growing up there? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to approach that because yes and no, mm-hmm. it, like, yes, it is the cliche that you see in the movies and in TVs, but also not like it, it is a lot more multidimensional and there's more real people because of course there are. Of like, course. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, um, but, but at the same time, it's like, it comes down more to your micro environment. And what was important in my household that I grew up in was education and work ethic. And so those were the things that I was really, really focused on. Like my family, is all about just like being the most invested in your brain as you can be. Are your parents like scientists? No, no. Um, But they are immigrants. And so they came to LA with a very specific idea of like the American dream and how do you achieve that? And my mom's family is Persian and they left Iran during the revolution um, in the 80s or the late yeah, 70s? Early she 80s. She left in the late 70s, late 70s. to move to, um, to to England to go to school there. And she was 16 at the time and she met my dad in London, where he is from. And then my mom's, the rest of her family, they all moved to LA in 1979, which was like right in the middle of the revolution in Iran. And their well, entire community moved together. So they like, just decided LA. Yeah, I mean, good weather. Yep. Great people. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. I mean, if you're like moving from Iran, which at the time was like super cosmopolitan and um, modern, and then you have this idea to move to America, like you're going to pick New York or LA. Well, did they, I mean, did they have a plan? Did your dad have a plan of like what he wanted to do when he came over here? Um, so my dad is from England originally. He grew up in South London. He still have an accent. And he does totally still have an accent. Um, and I think his only idea of moving to L.A. was to be with my mom and her family oh. because they all moved there. And it was kind of a no-brainer for my mom to follow and be where her entire family was. And so my dad that was his priority. Like I need to be with this woman. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And they're still together. So it's so beautiful. That is really beautiful. It's, it's very rare. It is. And I appreciate it. It's nice. Yeah. I'm like very, very grateful to have grown up in that environment. And like so few of my friends have, and I like as an adult appreciate it so much more, like seeing their commitment and right. What kind of kid were you growing up? Um, ah, 
that's hard. Okay, the kind of kid that I was growing up, I was I was confident in some respects. Like I really liked talking and I felt really really comfortable talking to adults and people of all walks of life and I was kind of a performer in that I loved like making people laugh and I loved telling funny stories and so whenever I had the opportunity to kind of like have a little bit of the spotlight um you took it I took it yeah yeah. (laughs) and and I I spoke like a lot of languages so I would do that in different yeah my dad always tells the story of when my sister was being born and and we were in the hospital I was not even three years old yet and one of the nurses came up to my dad and was like where's that little Spanish girl she's so funny and my dad's like what little Spanish girl and they're like, you know, the little Spanish girl who was in the room earlier. And he was like, my daughter? Like, she's not Spanish. Yeah. And they were like, oh, really? Like, she speaks perfect Spanish. What's how are that you, about? Yeah, how are you speaking I, perfect Spanish? I grew up in L.A. Yeah. So I, I had my caretakers when I was younger. I had a nanny who was Peruvian. Mm-hmm. And she spoke English. But my parents basically said to her, like, she's going to learn English no matter what. Like, just talk to her in Spanish. And so... My mom only spoke to me in Farsi. My dad only spoke to me in English. And my nanny spoke to me in Spanish. And, you know, by the time I was two years old, I was speaking all three. That wasn't confusing for you at all? No. Like, you didn't, like, develop your own, like, hybrid language no, of all three? No, not at all. There's a great documentary you should watch. It's called Poto and Cabango. Mm-hmm. It's about these two twin girls that grew up. It was shot in the 70s. Uh, these two twin girls that um, developed their own language. They were twins. Whoa. And it's like their mom was German and like, um, or no, sorry, their grandma was German and they developed this like own language. It's a, it's a great documentary. Anyway. I should watch that. You should watch it. It's I'm on Hulu Plus. i twins. Oh, you got to watch it. Yeah. Allie's a twin and. Allie's your wife. My wife. Yeah. And and my wife. My wife. <laughs> my wife, Allie. Yes. Is a twin. I hope you start saying that more I'm now. I'm going to. <laughs> I ha- now I have to. Um, so my wife, Allie, is an identical twin and. And I've always been like strangely fascinated by twins, probably because it's... of like Escape to Witch Mountain and Parent Trap and stuff. But um, twins are so creepy. It, and... it, it, it can it can be a little creepy. Yeah, you like know? they're kind of scary sometimes. But like it's just fascinating the the way twins interact and behave. Um, but anyways, going back. Oh yeah, so going back to your, yeah. going back. So you know, like were you. Were your parents always like supportive of you of what you wanted to do? Were they the kind of folks that had a plan? Um, I think yes and no. They kind of like yes, they were supportive of me and being a creative person, but they were also so focused on like this is the path to success and this is what you need to follow. And you Which need to was be what really really smart and work really hard. And there were like things that I wanted to do, like play AYSO soccer because all of my friends were doing that, and my parents were like, no, that's a distraction from your education. Oh wow! And so like my summers as a young child were going to like extra school to get ahead. (laughs) So I went to like math camp and writing camp and did writing classes at UCLA. Well, that's cool. Yeah. But what is math camp? So it wasn't, it wasn't. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to disrespect people who went to math camp, but like, I I just, that's awesome. Right. If you're like really into math, my mom was an engineer. So why wouldn't I be really into math? But um, it's just summertime, man. You should be swimming. You should be laughing it up. (laughs) So there was some of that too, but like I, I went to, it was another prep school in LA called Buckley 
And they had this summer program where the first half of the day um, until like one o'clock in the afternoon was like a school day. And so you took three different subjects and mine were like math, writing, and I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Math and writing were the ones that I cared about, I guess. And you would do schoolwork. Um, and like they would kind of try to make it fun, but you were still like in a classroom with a teacher. <laughs> like, well, and I, then the afternoons were fun. So okay. then I would go swimming or okay. we would go to okay. Disneyland or okay. something. All right. But, All good things. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay. That changes yeah. my view of what math camp is. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> like as torturous as I probably initially made it sound, but it was still school. Were you on board with, you know, your folks path to success or did, were, did you rebel against that at all? I definitely rebelled against it a little bit, but never too much to rock the boat. Okay, um, what is that? Okay, so do you have an example of like what yeah, that was? Yeah, like I was really, really studious, but then I would dye my hair weird colors or right. I like went out and got piercings. And yeah. like that was my rebellion. I think it was more about like, aesthetic and style, which makes sense for my life now. But um, I, I was a really good student, but... As I got older and I was kind of like dealing with identity stuff and depression and anxiety as a teenager, that's when that started to change. And I just like I became kind of unfocused in school and I was not really happy. So I wasn't necessarily like capping into my potential. Right. Um, well, how was that? How was that kind of manifesting itself in, at that age? Um, I probably spent a lot of time on the Internet. Yeah. I think that's how it <laughs> manifested. And like, I was really, really obsessed with music. So my weekends were spent like going to concerts and finding, you know, new bands to follow around LA. Um, Who were the folks that you loved growing up? Um, I <laughs> kind of like stereotypical of my age group for lesbians, I guess. But like, I really, really... <laughs> loved emo bands and like pop punk and yeah. um i loved saves the day like so much and whenever they were in town i would just like go to every show look i'm from new and, jersey like yeah. i didn't get out of new jersey without spending at least a couple yeah. years going to emo shows right you know so, like, it's that, not an embarrassing thing it's, it's not no i have a lot of pride in it see well it's funny because like southern california and new jersey like both had very healthy emo and pop punk oh, scenes yeah it's yeah. I mean, so like, wild you know blink 182 was oh out of Southern California and the Ataris and like there were really fun bands half like it was oh, just man. it was a good time to be a rebellious pop punk loving <laughs> so good teenager I've probably seen Blink-182 more times than like any other band does that ever feel embarrassing it doesn't yeah it doesn't it doesn't you know because I don't have it's I'm not I don't feel like guilty admitting I love no. that music yeah you know, it was, it was like, you know, I was, you know, I didn't have any siblings or anything like that. So I was just, I would spend all my time just searching mm -hmm. for, mu you know, like music was like what I loved, yeah, you know, exactly. you know, I was like, you know, I was listening to a lot of metal and then like fourth grade, fifth grade started listening to like Bjork and Sonic yeah. Youth and all like my metalhead friends were like, what is this? <laughs> like, you can't hang out with us. Like I was never, like I was never into one thing enough where like I felt like a part of it, like where like I felt like fully accepted. Like I obviously, I love the internet so much and it's like made me who I am in, in like every capacity, but I do think it's kind of like ruined the discovery process for things because 
everything is so available and so right. immediate. And well, accumulatively, it's ruined yeah. the discovery process because there are those moments where you can kind of like, you know, you go down the Wikipedia hole or you totally. go down like the, you know, where you're like, this leads to this. But but it, it's so disposable right. in a way. because Easy come, easy go. Right. You know? And, and it kind of like leads back into what we were talking about earlier with like the pace of change and how rapidly everything is new and then old again is that just us like getting old and like not being able to deal with it i was having this conversation recently because i was actually like talking about how obsessed i used to be with music i'm like i i don't get that feeling anymore of intense excitement like i used to or becoming obsessed with the band or like having this need to go see them live well you also you know more yeah yeah but like does the passion just like go away does you know I, mean, I have I, questions. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm searching. I know. I know. Like, it's why like, why don't I care about playing the guitar anymore? I was so obsessed with playing the guitar. Yeah. When I was like 13 years old. Did I, you ever start a band? Did you have a band? Um, I, <laughs> I started a theoretical band with okay. my friends. We like had a name and we logo. Made yeah, of course. Yeah. Everything but, like, but we the never music. Played yeah. Anything. <laughs> yeah. We we're like, yeah, we're a band now. And it was me and my friend Mark, who's still one of my best friends, and these two guys who were twin brothers, and twins again. Back to twins, man. And um, and so we were like, yeah, we're a band. And one of them like jumped on the, like really, really jumped on it and went and made t-shirts for us. But yeah. then like the wrong logo was printed on them, so we changed the name of our <laughs> theoretical band. It's like that's like a scene out of Can't Hardly Wait. Remember when the band's Literally. playing? Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. So that was my real life. Like, thank goodness for that movie because, like, it was such a good, like, thing, movie to keep you in check because I remember that scene where Jerry O'Connell comes and Mm -hmm. he's the guy that, like, went to college and, like, Peter Fauchino is like, Trip McNeely, like, how's it going? And he's just like, yo. It's like, you know how, like, there's, like, the It it Gets Better campaign? Yeah. It's like he was, like, the poster child for, like, yo, it gets so much worse. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Because it's, like, these guys that were, like, you know, like, these, like, these guys in high school and it's, like, It's like, bro, it gets so much worse, (laughs) you know? Yeah, like, it does get worse for that guy. It does. For sure, but, like, it got so much better for everyone else. (laughs) And it, like, it must suck to have peaked in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm so happy that's not my experience and my story. When you go back to L.A., like, do you have friends or, like, acquaintances? Are there, like, still, like, a Steve Sanders, like, who, like, is just still Um. Steve Sanders, and he's stuck in Beverly Hills, and he just can't figure it out? (laughs) Does that guy exist? I don't know that, like, anyone would be mad about being stuck in Beverly Hills, but, like, that was a pretty good life that we were born into. But I, I will say that there is, like, a very, very strange experience of having left and cultivated this life that is so public in so many ways and people are are able to access so many details about my life because I broadcast a lot of it. Yeah, you put it out like there. That's yeah. that's my career. Yeah. And um to reconnect with people or run into them on the street in LA which has happened and they're like, "Oh my god, I saw that this happened. I saw you just went to Japan. You like and they they're pulling out these things and I'm like yeah, so you know everything about me. Like, what are you doing with yeah, your like, life? How's all and, about you? Yeah. Um, I think that's weird for me. And um, I've had recently, now that we're, because it's only been since March that we've been living out there again, a lot of people reaching out to me who, like, I truly was never friends with growing up. Yeah. But 
they're like, oh, you're doing cool things. I want to reconnect. And I have this really weird, not hesitation, but I just feel like super self-conscious. Like, why do they want to hang out with me? Like, we never would have hung out when I was younger. And am I cool now? Like, what's going on? Right. But Um, also there's that thing in LA. Cause I lived in LA for a year and I had that. I was, I was in, I was hanging out in a certain like crowd of people where there were people in that crowd that were just in there because there were things that they wanted from those people. And it was that thing. It's like, you know, what can you do for me? Right. And it's like, you and know? I really don't want to believe that that's what it is. I'm, I'm not like, saying that that's what it is. I'm, it probably is. I, I'm not, Let's I, be I, real. <laughs> like, you don't just hit up the girl you like maybe made fun of in high school because you want to be friends now. Right. I never experienced that kind of thing before, except when I was in LA, like yeah. like that. I'm sure that exists here, but it it's like exists. it totally does. But like that's not my orbit here yeah. at all. You know. Yeah. Were there people that you looked up to growing up that you wanted to emulate? Like, who were your heroes? Um, that's it's still hard for me because I think I still struggle with finding people I I want to emulate or aspire to. And it's become especially weird because the people who really, really inspire me are my peers now mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like, I've kind of become friends with this group of really badass people who are all makers and they're all creating their own careers and really like living their dreams. And we've all diverged in some way from like the very typical plan of how you achieve success. Right. Um, Well, you made your own path. Yeah. And so those are the people who now I draw a lot of inspiration from. I think when I was younger, it was, it was mostly like women who I wanted to be or who like I wasn't ready to talk about or think about sexuality, but like that was maybe where my mind was. Like I was really obsessed with Gwen Stefani and like mm. I didn't know anything about her personally. I was just like, I want to look like her and I want to be her. Right. And, um, it was it was more like women like that I think but I I was like fascinated with Anna Wintour and I think when I was like 12 years old I told my mom that's that's who I want to be when I grow up I really? want to be Anna Wintour and yeah well I so you knew that you wanted to work in fashion that you wanted to be a writer was that something you always knew you wanted to do I think it's something I knew subconsciously but not something I verbalized beyond like I want to be Anna Wintour and I think I was also I felt so discouraged because I knew I didn't fit into the fashion world. Um, And I was told so many times over and over, like, well, if you want to work in fashion, you have to lose weight or you're going to have to change this or that about yourself. Who are the people saying that to you? Like my parents, as well-intentioned as they were. I, I mean, even as recently as a few years ago, like when I first started blogging, and I was like, you know, I think I really want to make this fashion thing happen. And I went to school for design. I went to Parsons. I studied design and management. And right out of school, I started working at this really amazing design firm where I was doing brand design. And it was an amazing first job. But my heart was always really in fashion. And so when I started blogging in like 2008, that's where my head was I was like talking about style and I was talking about runway shows on your blog on my blog and was it was it something that you had I mean we're jumping ahead a little bit but like you know um was it something that you just started for fun you're just like look I I I, I just like I have the I like 
I do this in my day job yeah. and like I have this other thing that I want to talk about and like this is what I'm you yeah, know this is what I really want to talk about 100% just a way for me to have my own little creative outlet mm-hmm. and like yes my job was technically creative but it was also very formulaic and you know you design a sign once and you kind of do the same thing over and over again right um especially for like a corporate design firm it's it's very prescriptive and um so I started my blog just to like have my own little space and I had been on live journal like my entire teenage life. Yeah. So it didn't feel weird to like be on the internet and write about myself or write about things happening in my life or my interests on the internet because I had always been doing that. And so I was doing the blog and I was contacted a couple of years in by an editor at Vogue Italia um, and they were launching their curve section. And they were like, we really want you to produce content from New York and talk about stores in New York and shows in New York. And of course I was going to do that. Right. (laughs) Yes. Where do I sign up? And um, so I started doing that while I was still working at the design firm. And a year into doing both and kind of like sacrificing my nights and weekends to make this weird dream happen, I decided I really wanted to try and do it full time. Well, what were you doing? I mean, you know, before that happened, what were you doing? Was there anything else that you were doing besides just, you know, just writing your blog and just and putting it out there? Like, was there a way that you were were you promoting it at all? Or was it something you just you just like, this is what I'm doing. And it just like it just spread. Yeah. By the good graces of the Internet. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it was like early in the blogging game. So I I didn't have any intention for it to go anywhere. I certainly didn't brand it. If I did, it probably would have not been called (laughs) NicoletteMason.com. But um it kind of just happened organically and like, you know, that's a really, really happy accident. But, um, the same thing with Leandra too, with man repeller. And I talked to her about the same thing. There was this time where it kind of was like this wide open space, right? Where you could just like, so much, you could just set the pace, right? You can, you set, you can make your own path. Yeah. And and I'm sure, you know, like you said, a lot of these peers that you were talking about, I'm sure it's the same thing for them too. It's just, it's such a wild thing when like, when it was like, Oh God, I'm going to say this word. I'm just going to throw up a little bit in my mouth. Like that, like web Mm. (laughs) 2.0. Yeah. Oh, I'm not allowed to say no, that. No. It's like saying millennial. <laughs> Can't do it. No, but like, it's just, it's such, it's such a cool time to me because it's like, you know, for every generation, there's always these things I feel like where you kind of like get to create like what it's going to be. Yeah. You know, because I work in an industry where like the, the ways of doing things like have just been set in place. Right. And you have to play on that game. Right. Like, you know, there, you can, there's that line, you can deviate from that line and people do. And like, you Mm -hmm. know, great stuff and like great innovation and stuff still happens. Mm -hmm. But you know, like to, to just like come into a thing where it's just like, this is like, we were kind of like looking around and you're just like, (laughs) what are we doing here? And then all of a sudden it's just like, People want that. They want to right. hear your voice. They want all that that great like content and stuff yeah. you're putting out there. And then it just like people take notice and it just like grows organically. And it's not, it's so cool to 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 see all these you know folks like you and yourself and and all these other people who have just like you know they're just like they're building these things from mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, it's fucking cool. It's really it's cool. really fucking and cool. There's a lot of of opportunity, but I think like because. I'm sorry I rambled a little bit there. No, no, no. I think it's like such an important conversation to have because it's so much part of our generation's experience, I think. And like maybe every few generations have that um, where it's kind of like you're just in the right place at the right time. Right. And it allows for really cool innovation. 
Um, but, you know, within like the fashion world and then the web 2.0 world, vomit, uh, sorry. Uh. Um, <laughs> there's still this intersection of like new and old and like how do we create this new dialogue and create this new space and still work within the framework of right. the fashion industry. And I think that's where like well-intentioned as my parents are and supportive as they are, they were looking at this like old world mentality of fashion and, and the elitism and the exceptional nature of it. Right. And like, you don't fit into that and we want you to succeed. So like maybe make it easier for yourself. Well, that's the thing. It's like, they seem to have like imbued you with like a sense of just like hard work yeah. and dedication, which is like, you know, that's true for new world, old world, any totally. And you know, like that's the, that's the most important foundation, right. but then just like taking that and working in like what's true to your experience, mm-hmm. which is very far removed from, from what their experience was, Absolutely. you know, do, do, do you guys have a good relationship? Do they understand yeah. what you do? Like, do they, they do they do. still, it took a while, I think. And I, I think it was only really like last year that they were like, okay, we get it now. Like it makes sense for you to do your own thing yeah. and to like, it's okay that you don't fit into the mold. Um, because that's what has made you so interesting and special and has allowed you to like have this space in the fashion industry. Um, but that's scary for a parent, I think to like see any sort of difference. And I think that happens a, a lot with my identity in general. Like mm-hmm. there, I've had a lot of things about me that are othered in some way and you know parents often just like want the best and easiest path for their child right. anything that might be like a struggle or where other people might make them feel less than or different like you want to take that away and I don't fault my parents for like wanting me to have a life without struggle right um like, but I they had struggle though yeah you well, need that struggle you I think I certainly think you do, and I appreciate the. Otherwise, you're like I've hollow. Had. You can be like blown over by like a gust of wind. Right. You know what I like mean? I think you know it builds character. Yes. <laughs> and makes you a, it does a good person. It and, does. and gives you passion. Yeah. Um. And so I'm I'm very grateful for that experience. But you know, like you want to protect your little baby ducklings before they grow up into the world and become a duck. Oh, I saw some baby ducklings this weekend. Really? The yeah, and we went to this farm. There's this great farm by my house, and like they, I was like, these are like I'm going to have to ask you about those ducklings later. Ten baby ducklings just crossing the road, and it's just like... Did one of them fall into a, a grate, like in that video <laughs> from Russia, where they're crossing no. the street and fall it into was, the water hole? Oh, it was just, it was just, it just You've like You've seen that video, though, right? The, no, 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 the grate, falling into a grate in okay, Russia. Okay, no, so... No, no. I have to set it up that's fine, because that's, fine. this is where my 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 thing about the ducks the ducklings came from. It's like a family of ducks, yeah. And there's the mama duck and ten little ducklings, and they're walking down the street like a normal busy street with cars on one side and like a lake on the other, normal. And <laughs> and a, a few of the ducklings fell into like the I don't know what this is called. It's like, a grate, and there was water underneath, like the sewer. <laughs> I don't what I don't know. I'm oh, like, oh okay. So it's probably like it's probably like, like the drainage. Water, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the drainage drain. drainage dam for where a the water's drain. Yeah. A drain yeah. hole. <laughs> I'm so good at words today. It's amazing I'm a writer. Um <laughs> and so they fall into the drain hole and the the mama duck is like quack quack, help me, help my little ducklings. And so 
a few people like figure out what's going on and that the ducklings are in the grade and she just waits there until right. they're rescued and they're rest they're all rescued they're all recovered and then they walk away and go to the lake and so like you know the mama duck just wants to protect her protect her little ducklings right. and make sure they're all together so they can get to the lake safely exactly so same thing so, with your with parents that's my parents my yeah, parents are ducks parents. yeah it's great <laughs> um what was the moment for you when it started feeling real? Like, or when, you, I guess when you were, you know, you mentioned how you were working this day job mm-hmm. at the corporate design firm. And do you remember the moment when you were like, I'm leaving this. I want to do, I want to do running yeah. like my blog and writing full time. Yeah. What was that like for you? Like, how did you come to that decision? Because I think... I always love kind of um, asking people that stuff because, you know, the people that listen to this, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like a bunch of people that are like, you know, my my always thing growing up and still even to this day, it's like, how? Yeah. Like, how? Like, what? Um, you know, I think that's a helpful thing for people to hear. I'm sure you've said it before. I'm sure you've talked yeah. about it before. I, you know, I apologize if you have to run through it again, but no, I would just love, I, I, I'd I, love to hear, you know, that moment for you and what it was like, what was going through your head. Um. So, I, I mean, how that happened, I'm... I'm really stubborn and audacious and like, uh, I don't know. I think I was kind of stupid at the time too, because (laughs) you need a little bit of that, right? You you need to be a little fearless, I guess. Um, you know, it was 2010 when I decided that I wanted to quit my job. Um, the financial market at the time was really bad. Most of my friends were not working. Right. Um, and I had this really great job, but I wasn't really fulfilled by it. And I didn't feel really happy. And the thing that was making me feel really, really happy was writing about fashion and going to events and meeting people in, in that world. And um, I decided to resign from that job and I remember my boss pulling me aside and being like you know I don't know like what your plan is but I think this is right for you and he really really encouraged me he's like you're so talented with writing and you have such a love for it that's real I I know you're gonna do well and that was really really affirming because everywhere else and especially because I I was kind of like raised to really value a traditional path Mm -hmm. and um follow the rules and like play within the system like that was what my dad always told me like you can be more successful and break the rules if you work within the system and um that's like good advice actually and and it's it's something I think I still do in my career now within fashion but um You know, it was, like, scary to be leaving something with a lot of stability and go into this very, very unknown world where I didn't have a clear opportunity or a clear path. And I was blogging, but my blog was not monetized at all. I didn't make a penny off of it. And I was contributing to Vocatalia. I started contributing to Refinery, but I was getting paid, like, 50 bucks for an article a couple times a week. So it, that's not like a stable income by any it's means, not. especially in New York. And so I was babysitting a lot. I was tutoring. Um, all those math camps like really paid off that's because great. I was tutoring a few times a week. Thank goodness for the um, math camp. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> math camp really did me well in the end. Um, <laughs> but I was just like willing to do whatever I had to do to be okay financially Mm -hmm. and to just like pay my bills in order to spend the rest of my time like 
fulfilling this love and this passion. And so I quit my job. I gave myself a year deadline. And I said, if by like a year from now, I'm not doing something sustainable and I'm not doing something that makes sense, I'll go back into this world. Right. I, I know I can do that and be successful. And you know that you've tried. Yeah. And I, I, I will never like look back at my life and be like, fuck, I wish I just like had the balls to do that. Um, so I, I quit my job. I gave myself a year. I had like my parents support ultimately they were like you know if you need our help like we're here and um that I think was important too like I'd be really um it wouldn't be fair to like not acknowledge that having that support net or like knowing that I had security no it's good to hear Um, I think a lot of people have that and I think a lot of people don't don't talk about it they feel weird talking about it I think it's It's, it's, really important to talk about especially in the fashion space, and I've talked about this a couple of times. I did this interview with the Huffington Post where I was like, I don't know why no one in the fashion space is willing to acknowledge the privilege that they have or that allowed them to work in this space. Most associate editors are making like $30,000 a year but have this insane lifestyle living in New York City. Like That's not sustainable without support (laughs) from the outside. It's not possible. And... um, I think it's really, really important to acknowledge that and to have that conversation and say, like, you know, like, it's it's only possible with help because otherwise you're setting other people up for failure or this, like, false sense of um, expectation or possibility. And it's kind of like, you know, how Carrie Bradshaw conned a lot of us into moving to New York. And oh, there's a whole, <laughs> you know, a whole lot of you. Yeah, like, Carrie Bradshaw lied to, to us so much. Um and I don't know anyone with Carrie's life, you know? Like, right. the, I write a column in a magazine. Like, if that was the only thing I was doing, I would not have a closet full of fancy shoes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it's only by <laughs> way of doing everything else on top of that <laughs> that I'm able to have like, a good, sustainable, independent lifestyle now. It's good to talk um, about that. It's good. It's, imp- it's really, really important. I think that there needs to be a little more transparency um, and so many of the people I know within the blogging space, especially, um, like why are, you know, the reason like people came to us and this, it's not true of everyone, but I think especially new people, new bloggers in the fashion space, the reason they're able to kind of like play in the field is because they can afford the things that allow them yeah. to play in the field. Yeah. And if you have those designer pieces and you have access to all these amazing outfits, that are bringing you bringing you an audience like that's something we need to talk about not everyone can afford that or have have the resources to do that um I think especially as the fashion blogging world and the new media world move more towards a traditional media format and kind of like mimic what's happening in the magazine world that's happening a lot more um and so the new players in the game have all of this access that like they they never want to acknowledge well you know when you when you're starting out and you're doing this like full-time do you remember what those like frustrating moments were when you first started or and how did you deal with them I think the most the hardest thing was maybe like trying to prove legitimacy 
um, in the early stages because it was so new and there wasn't really a, like now there's this kind of like formula for success or there's examples of people who have done really well in the space. Right. Um, like Leandris is kind of the textbook example of, of someone who's like created a real legitimate platform and a reputation within the fashion industry from what started as a blog. Right. Um, and so it was hard to explain to people what I was doing. And they were like, oh, so you have a website? Like, how is that a, th- like, how's that yeah. a job? How is that a thing? <laughs> I'm like, well, I also do like X, Y, and Z. I yeah, also... and the math camp. Yeah, and math camp. Um, <laughs> so that was really frustrating. And um, beyond that, I think it was dealing with, especially as I started like attending Fashion Week and attending... Um, a lot of industry events and being at Marie Claire has afforded me that opportunity. Certainly like a lot of it has come from my blog Um, and going into spaces where I'm visually very different from other people. um, That's been frustrating because I've had people kind of come to me like, who are you and why are you here? You don't belong here. And I'm like, I am an editor at a magazine. Yeah. Um, I, I have a column every month. Like your job is to, to know to that cover and, to, yeah. and like, yeah. you know, it, it, so that's been frustrating and like continues to be frustrating to have to prove to other people over and over that I belong somewhere. And how do you deal with that? Um, alcohol? No, uh, <laughs> I don't actually drink that much. So half joking, but, um, I talk to my friends about it a lot and especially my friends who don't work within the fashion space and have this really body positive attitude. Like it's affirming to hear other people be like, that's fucked up because <laughs> it is, it's really fucked up to have to prove that you have some legitimacy over and over again to people who just like don't know you and don't care to know you because they don't think that you're going to offer them something. Right. Um, and it's frustrating, but it's also knowing that me being there is hopefully giving someone else an opportunity to be there. It's, it's showing that, yes, I do deserve to be there. It's covering it after the fact and having, you know, it inspires people. I hope. Yeah. Um, I think if I'm able to like prove to one other girl who feels different or other that she can have that opportunity, um, that's worth the frustration that I deal with. 100%. Right. Hundred percent, and um, it can trans, and that kind of that kind of inspiration can translate to any avenue as well. Too, yeah, I think. you know. Yeah, I think so, and I hope so. And um, you know, a lot of amazing things have happened because I've put up with that frustration. I think if I let it discourage me off the bat, like I wouldn't be designing collections for brands, and I wouldn't right. be writing for magazines and traveling all over the world and like modeling in enormous campaigns, like. It, this is really amazing and it's surreal. And you asked me earlier, like when it started feeling real and it hasn't. Right. And I hope it doesn't <laughs> ever because every day kind of like surprises me. Like this is amazing. And I never thought I would be here and I'm really lucky to be here. Well, what are the things that inspire you to keep going? You know, I know we talked about, you know, I mean, I'm sure what you just said, yeah. you know, it falls under that category, but Definitely. you know, what are the things that, that, that still excite you? Um, I think it's, especially within the plus size space, things are changing so rapidly. Again, 
all this rapid change that we can't keep up with, um, that it's impossible not to feel inspired. Like every day, maybe not every day, but like at least every week, there's some big news story happening that relates to body positivity and relates to inclusivity in fashion. And that's across the board. It's It's ethnic diversity. It's size diversity. It's seeing models who are differently abled in campaigns like that is really exciting and being part of that even in some small way is really really incredible because like I'm I'm seeing that change happen in real time and I'm able to say like whoa I had a part in this in some capacity I'm not going to take a lot of credit like there's a lot of players in the game it's not a conversation that was you know happening as widely as it has been over the past like three four years you know not at all and I think it's so much because of social media and because of the internet and blogging certainly. And like when you talk about and think about what plus size fashion is and looks like, it's only been possible because we've created this platform to talk about it and kind of like demanded brands to pay attention. Right. Cause people have always wanted to hear about it, but maybe that they have, you don't think so. I mean, but I don't know. I think like we reached a tipping point culturally where women were able to value their bodies and say that they do deserve a piece of fashion and and I don't I think that part of the problem has been that we weren't always given the space to say that. Right, but I'm saying I think there was always people there that like, you know, had these shared ideas and yeah. that everybody was able to yeah, connect. Yeah. What I'm saying oh, is like yeah. that people it, were able to connect a lot yes. easier through the internet. Totally. Right. That's what and that's like, what I'm saying. That's commun- what gives the power to it. Totally. And the community side of it is so real. Like there's really all of these women out there and men, but like mostly women who are sharing resources and inspiring each other and like sharing their outfits and saying like, this is where you can find it. And like, that's not something that happens everywhere. <laughs> like no. you ask someone down the street where they got something or a, sh- a you know, pair of shoes and they're like, oh, I don't remember. I'm like, yeah, you fucking do. Like, <laughs> like you, you bought it yesterday. You, you Just tell me where it's liar. from. And then in, the plus size space, we have this really cool sharing economy. We're like, oh my God, I'm so excited to tell you about this new brand I just found um, because we haven't always had it. And there's this feeling of scarcity and also excitement. And um, yeah, that's that's inspiring. Yeah. Bring it back. Had a little ADD there. No, no, it's great. Uh, two more questions. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a lot more things I would love to talk to you about. We can talk about it. Um, well, no, I guess it, to me it's interesting. Um, actually, okay, so maybe three more questions. <laughs> um, so what is that like when, when the moment when brands are coming to you and publications are coming to you and asking you to write write for them or mm-hmm. a, a, a company's coming to you and ask you to design clothes for them? Like w- when you get those opportunities, what are the things that are running through your mind? Um, and I'm sure it's different for each one. I think that there's a lot of different sides to that. Like part of it is wanting to say yes to every opportunity. Oh yeah. And and especially in the fashion space and within like the plus size fashion space even more so. Like I don't know that this is a relatable experience to people who haven't felt like othered by fashion or by clothing. But when you 
are searching for something that kind of fits you and your personality and your identity and it's never available, the moment it becomes available, you're desperate for all of it. Mm. And it, it goes back to like that idea of mass scarcity. Like I could never find clothes and now I'm a fucking hoarder because I'm like, oh my God, all of the things. Everything. All of the things with yeah. sequins and embellishments and leopard print <laughs> that I've always dreamed about and suddenly they're available and I need them all because they're never going to be available again. And like, that's not true anymore. Right. <laughs> they will be available right. today and tomorrow and next week because we finally like created this space where we are allowed to have those things. And... Um, and someone's like decided we deserve it finally. Um, oh my god, my train of thought right now is like really. What does it feel like when a clothing company comes mm-hmm. to you and is like, "Hey, would you want to do a line for yeah. us?" Yeah, uh, that's been really weird because part of me is like, "Are you sure? Are you sure you <laughs> want me? Like, what am I gonna do for you?" And I had this weird moment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with one of my managers and um, she, I'm not going to like give all the context, but she was basically like, you're crazy how, with how little you value yourself. Like there's no one in this space who knows the industry as well as you do, who knows the ins and outs the way that you do. And like the fact that you would ever second guess your ability. And like, we all have moments of self doubt for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. And I was like, huh, <laughs> I guess you're right. That is kind of crazy. And, like, there's there are people within the space who I'm very fortunate to know and call my friends, and they're so, so talented. And I'm like, why don't you pick one of them? I, and, and I've done that a few times. Like, brands have approached me. I'm like, oh, I kind of think you should work with this person instead. Wow. And um, it, it never stops being surreal, but it's also, like, so what I want to be doing. And what makes me so excited and the thing that I'm most fortunate I think with my career is that every day is so different and so there's never a shortage of inspiration like I'm writing one day and I'm designing the next and I'm modeling on the third day and like that's the weirdest honestly but um to have a brand come to me and be like we want your expertise and we want your point of view is so validating and affirming and I think like that's ultimately what we want is to be told that like we're valuable and and our point of view matters and our opinions matter um and that's been a very very exciting thing and it's I feel really grateful that I'm like not jaded about it either and I don't have an ego like I've I am like a very humble and modest person in a lot of ways and like I hope that doesn't go away um and I want it to keep feeling surreal and strange but you know I designed the collection for mod cloth last year and um I think the the part of that that was most exciting is that they allowed me to do it in all sizes (laughs) and so it started from a size two and went up to a 24 and there were some pieces that went larger than that as well And I think to be valued as a person in fashion, regardless of size and without the limitations of being like, 
yeah, we want your opinion, but only for these sizes and only for these people. I'm like, well, I I have like more to offer. Like I feel, you know, pretty strongly about that. Like I'm really excited about what I can do within fashion and I never want my opportunities to be limited by size or by body. Like that's, I don't know, like (laughs) there's more to, to a person than their body. Right. Right. And like not to go on a total tangent, but like, I think women are socialized to, to find their value in their appearance and in their body and told like, you only matter if you look like this or you're, um, you have the approval of men in, in whatever regard, like that's the, and that's the way we talk about women as well. Like in all industries and in all spaces, like I've rarely read a profile of a successful woman that didn't talk about what her hair looked like or what she was wearing. I'm like, why are we not just talking about her merits as a businesswoman or as an actor? Um, It always kind of comes back to body. And like, that's how we're valued in a lot of ways in our society and in our culture. And um, so to bring it back, like to have a brand recognize my influence or my talent beyond that felt really fucking good yeah as it should that's great yeah and and then to see like photos of girls of all sizes wearing a a piece of clothing that I designed and like had my name on like that was the best feeling that's great yeah what uh what are your hopes for uh for where you want to take it Um, world peace I I have a lot of things I'm working on right now, and I have a dress collection that I'm uh, working on with Additionnel, which is a Canadian brand. They're based in Montreal, and it's a collection of seven dresses that's coming out next spring, February 2016, and um, so that's like the short term. I'm working on that right now, Um, but... I see so many opportunities for change in this industry and to continue this conversation around body diversity. And um, it's hard to say where I see it going because every day is different and the demands of every day are different. And like, I, I want to play a role in all of that. I don't know if that's selfish or greedy, but um, design is definitely a big, part of it and a big part of my current motivation and my plan um and i do intend to keep designing (laughs) it's great it's great uh i think that's a good place to end it yeah nicolette mason thank you so much thanks for having me of course